Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention uh, to the passage we read, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and reading for our text, verse 23. Verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. And it is the sanctification of God's people that is the subject upon my spirit this evening. Our text is the aim and end that is in view of the instruction that goes before it from verse 12 through to verse 22. Those instructions are given to the end that the text will be realised. This sanctifying completely of God's called children, their whole spirit and soul and body, and their preservation under the coming of the Lord Jesus. Also, it stands in the centre of the aim of God's work. Verse 24, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Lest we think that all we have to do is to follow a set of instructions and then we shall be sanctified and holy. We are told this, that yes, we have the means, we have the word of God, and if the Lord has called us, one thing that he has given us is a hearing ear and a willingness to obey the word of God. At least I trust that that is what we have here this evening. And where that is given, the instructions are given, we have the blessed realisation that it is not by our might and by our efforts, but it is by the Lord's blessing upon this means. It is the Lord who has called his people who will sanctify them and who will make them wholly separated unto himself. And so I want to look firstly at four important Truths that are actually in the text itself, in the verse itself, and then we look at three points as relative to the sanctifying of God's children. The four important truths here, the first one is this, is the nature of God. Our text begins, the very God of peace. The people of God are to be reminded that our Lord said, In me ye shall have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And we're reminded of that here, that God is a God of peace. When our Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, the angels testified on earth peace, goodwill, 
toward men. Not peace on earth, that will not be so, but on earth peace will be known. God's dear children in the Lord Jesus Christ will know what the peace of God that passeth all understanding is that shall keep their heart and minds through Christ Jesus. And so we are reminded here of this important truth that God is a God of peace. Our Lord said, I came not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The gospel of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ is very different than the law. It is a gospel of peace. The hymn writer says, peace through his blood. Peace through his blood. And that is so vital that we realise that the offering and sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ was to make of himself uh, one new man and that there should be both Jews and Gentiles that the people of God should be a people reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. The whole work of our Lord is to remove that enmity, that hatred, and to bring into sweet fellowship and friendship in his beloved Son. And that is the end of the Gospel. So where the devil comes in and maligns and blackens our Lord and paints him as a monster and paints him as one that desires only to crush and defeat the people of God, he is a complete liar, he maligns our Lord. The Lord gives these directions, these letters to the churches through Paul, not with an aim of crushing them, destroying them, but bringing about peace. It is a path that makes for peace between God and his people. The very God of peace. But secondly, there is the nature of man. We have man set forth as a whole being of spirit and soul and body. We know that Solomon in Ecclesiastes he draws the distinction of the beasts whose when they die their spirit descends down to the earth, but man he returns to God that gave him. The soul of man is in residence in his body and as an expression of that soul is the mind and the spirit. How many times through the word of God is the spirit mentioned? The the Lord Jesus Christ, he reproved the apostles when they would call down fire to destroy those that did not receive him. And he said, ye know not what spirit ye are of. Paul, when he writes to the Romans, he exhorts to walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. It is the, not the Holy Spirit that is spoken of here, but the spirit in man and a spirit that is sanctified to be a gracious spirit, a godly spirit, a new spirit, 
not the spirit of the unregenerate, but the spirit of God's people. It would be a complete contradiction if we were to say, here is a child of God, and here is one that is hoping for heaven and bears testimony of God's work in him, and yet what is said of him is what Abigail said of her husband Nabal, that he is such a one that one can't, cannot speak unto him. He was of a, of a terrible spirit, and God's dear children should not have such a spirit. And so it is the, it is the person, really the, the outgoing of what is in uh, the appearance that the soul evidences to, to men. And then there's the soul itself, the real person, that which shall uh, exist beyond the body and beyond the mind and beyond the, the spirit that is evidenced when that body lies still and motion and lifeless, then that soul is with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so we have set before us here that God's children have these three parts. They have their spirit, they have their soul, and they have their body. And it is with each one of these is to be sanctified. And so we have the third main point, an important point that's set before us, and that is the sanctification of God's called people. We can see that from verse 24, that faithful is he that calleth you. The Thessalonians were called, and that is evident from the introduction to the epistle, that they were a people called, called out of nature's darkness and into God's marvellous light. Sanctification is setting apart for a holy use. Come ye out from among them, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. This people have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. Is a people that is wrought upon by the Spirit and taught so that they take on the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. If we are yoked together, walk together, the disciples walking with the Lord, they learned his spirit, they learned his teaching, they were brought to be like him. And so the apostle says, Be ye followers of me, as I also am of Christ and that we are to run the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus is a very vital important doctrine the sanctification of God's people setting apart and the work in their hearts and in their lives to make them a people not as they were by nature but as they are by God's grace showing forth his praise in all they say, in all they do, in all that they act. And so we have that uh, truth that is set forth here. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly 
And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings the last important point, and that is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the future coming. He has come, and he has promised that he will come again, and with power and great glory. At the end of chapter 4, we have the apostle comforting the Thessalonians, those who thought their loved ones had died and perished, that they hadn't perished, they were with the Lord. And when the Lord came at the last day, they would come with him, and the dead in Christ should rise first, and those that were alive would be caught up with him in the clouds. So shall we be forever with the Lord. And he says, comfort one another with these words. The Thessalonians had been called, and one of the effects of that calling was to in verse 10 of chapter 1, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The Lord will come again. He is on the throne, and no nations and no ruler of nations will ever rob him of his glory and of his people or cause the Uh, his plan and his purpose in salvation will not come to pass. The Lord is a faithful God and he has set forth what shall happen and what he will do with his people. And when he calls his people, he doesn't just leave them to themselves, but he works in their hearts and in their lives. And it is that when he comes, they shall Lift up their head with joy. They shall look forward to it. They shall long for that day that they shall see the Lord and to be with him forever and ever. So these four things, very important doctrines, teachings, are found in our text. But it is the third point concerning the sanctification of God's children that I want to speak on this evening. So firstly, in three points, firstly, the end in view, the aim in view of the instructions and of God's work, the sanctification of God's children. Then secondly, the instructions that are given to notice the specific instructions. There are two concerning men or how we uh, react to deal with men and there are seven that are specific to our walk before the Lord. And then thirdly, God who will effect that sanctification and preservation. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Firstly, the aim that is in view. Our God is a God that has his own counsel and purpose and aim. And sometimes those things are not revealed to us, but other times it is revealed to us. 
what God's purpose is, what his aim is. Really in the promises that were given to our first parents, his aim, his purpose was to bring the seed of the woman to bruise the serpent's head. And that overarching aim over those 4,000 years was what all the types and the shadows all pointed to and culminated in the perfect sacrifice at Calvary of our Lord Jesus Christ. We think of those shorter aims where the Lord promised to Abraham a son and that son in Isaac was uh, given and then promised that his seed should inherit the land where he was and 430 years after that promise was land made, they were brought to Mount Sinai and then into that promised land. And so we have the uh, promises and instruction concerning the Church of God that runs right through the Scriptures. Our Lord, to those on the way to Emmaus, he said to them, Ought not Christ... Uh, suffered these things and to entered into his glory. And uh, the Lord had this aim and this purpose. And the aim here is for his people, those people for whom he died. I lay down my life for the sheep. He says of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye are not of my sheep, therefore ye hear not my word. But my sheep, they hear my voice, they follow me. And here in the word of God, we have the voice of the Lord. The Thessalonians, they receive the word from the Apostle Paul, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And it is the purpose of God that through the word, through the washing of water by the word, as we have it set before us in Ephesians and chapter 5, that he might, in verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, that is the church of God that he loved and gave himself for, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That is God's aim. And that is why the Apostle here brings the word of God to the Thessalonians with the aim that they be sanctified through that word. May we always remember this. Those of us who have been called and may be grown under a body of death, feel much the pull of the world and the working of our old nature, our sinful, evil heart that God's children always have. We are called to a constant battle with the corruptions of our own heart daily. Uh, When we think of sanctification, we do not believe in uh, progressive sanctification in the sense that we shall get better and better and better and by the time we die, be almost like the saints in heaven, perfect. God's children will always have an old nature, but they will grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord 
and they will uh, grow in sanctification as well as they learn the Lord's will, not just by word, but as he chastens them, corrects them, as he guides them, makes known his will to them, gives them of his spirit, and he separates them from the world and the ways of the world, and then that they walk in obedience to him. And we would be mindful this is the end that God has in view. And when we read Hebrews 12, we know that he chastens every son whom he receiveth. And it is a great blessing if we discern the Lord is chastening us, correcting us. He won't let us get away with sin, away with worldly things, but will be all the time dealing with us as a father with this end in view. And we are not to faint, we are not to be discouraged when the things we go through, they bring the scum to the surface. They make known to us our sin, our evil heart. We're not to be discouraged. We might think, well, how can I make myself better? How can I cleanse myself? How can I escape the rod? How can I stop all these things happening? Well, the Lord has ordained it is through much tribulation that we are to enter the kingdom And it is through these things that we actually are made to be more like the Lord. It is the Lord's chosen, appointed way that those tribulations working right, says the hymn writer, produce a patient mind. The Lord does have an end in view. He doesn't just let his people just drift through this world and just go on and there be no teaching, no correction, no instruction, no end in view. And when we are mindful of how worldly we are, carnal we are, things that are not right, if the Lord has a favour towards us, he will deal with us. And if we don't listen to his word and don't obey his word, then he will bring the rod. And then he will bring us to hear the rod and who has appointed it and open our ear. We are to uh, have a hearing ear to what the Spirit saith unto the churches, and the word of the Lord is to have that sanctifying, separating, gracious effect upon us. And this is the aim of the Lord. And we need to ask ourselves each time we read the word, each time we gather together, What effect has the word upon us? The Lord speaks of the parable of the one that built his house upon the sand and one that built his house uh, upon the rock. And what he was illustrating was the one that was a doer of the word and not hearer only. The word of the Lord is to affect what we do and how we act, uh, how we talk. And it is in that way that the Lord sanctifies and makes his people to be what he would have them to be. How they are to walk, how they are to think, how they are to speak, how they are to act, how they are to show forth his praise in this present generation. And so may we keep in mind that aim and that aim be ours as well, that we desire 
that we might be more like Christ, more weaned from the world, more separated from it, uh, more cleansed from our besetting sins, delivered from the power and dominion of it. And sometimes we might really feel to, to despair, wonder how can we ever go on? How can this ever be affected? And sometimes we might lean to our own understanding and think, well, this is all up to me. I must do it. I must sanctify myself. And then we can veer the other way and say, no, it must be all God's work, not my work at all. And then we end up sinning that grace might abound and be walking in a careless way and almost blaming God for how we are. But when we have our text here, the aim set right in the middle of two things. It's right in the middle of first instruction through the word to us how to walk, but lest we should think that these are things that be by our own power. If we obey them, then we are going to be sanctified. It's put the other side that it is the Lord that will do it. The Lord uses means and he uses his word and he makes his people willing in the day of his power. And we do, and I speak to myself, we need to bear in mind this balance of the word, obedience and hearkening to the word and the power of God that is put forth with the word. It is not us that do it. The Apostle says regarding his ministry, his work, I laboured more abundantly than them all. But then he says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And he puts the two together. He did labour. He did wrestle. He did uh, count not his life dear unto him that he might minister the word. But he ascribed all to the grace of God. And that is how we need to walk as well. With this aim in, in view. May we never be content with, as it were, just being saved. Just scraping through this world. Just with a, a baptism or a name to live. But our lives so much really like the world and not like the Lord at all. May we truly be separated, sanctify a holy people. As Peter says, be ye holy, for I am holy, as the Lord testifies that. We are to be a people that reflects the holiness of God, and without holiness no man shall see the Lord. So we need to be not only called, but we need to be sanctified, and that is a work that goes on right the way through our lives, every day. And every day we need the word, and need what is set before us here. So I want to look then secondly at the instructions that are given in the context of our text. First of all, we have two instructions that are towards men. 
If we look at verse 12 and 13, we could summarize that here is the attitude of a soul to their minister, to the one that is laboring amongst them, one that is admonishing them, and that they are to esteem them, they are to know them, and they are to love them for their work's sake, and that they are to be at peace among themselves, so that that word has free course and be glorified. If God is to use the ministry and to use his word to the blessing of your soul and mine, then we cannot be despising, hating, undermining the minister, the pastor that is bringing the word. There must be an esteeming of the servants of the Lord. The Lord said that uh, he that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. There is a direct link. You cannot have those that say, we are being taught directly by God. We are having words from the Lord. And we're not having it from man. And we're not being told by man what to do. And speaking to a pastor and a minister who is admonishing and correcting them in that way is never a sign of grace and never a way to being sanctified. And that is then put first. And may we truly have a right attitude. We could extend that to the word itself and esteeming the words of God as the inspired, infallible word of God. Not just saying, well, that's the word of Paul. And, well, we, we, we don't esteem all of these words as the inspired word of God. No, uh, the very beginning should be how we esteem the word that is brought to us and of the Lord's servants. But then there's a general instruction uh, in verses 13 and 14. It is not only esteeming them highly for their work's sake, but it is uh, the exhortation to, in our relation to others, and that verse 14 is, of course, to those that minister through the word, but really to all of the brethren, to support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that we render uh, not evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. And so there's specific directions in how we act and react to others. Not saying, wow, he he's spoken evil against me. I'm going to speak evil against him. And he has been horrible to me. I'll be horrible to him. And, and reacting in that way, we are told here that we are to not render evil for evil unto any man. And so these are the first two instructions and it, it centers on people, the minister, the one that's bringing the word, and then the brethren and any man, how we act towards them. 
if we're seeking to be sanctified, to be blessed in our souls and like Christ, we won't be known as an angry, unreasonable man, one that has always got a sharp tongue and is hard to get along with and hard to be told anything and obnoxious. We should look to how we are known and how we appear before other men. Remember our text and the character of God, the very God of peace. And may we also be men and women of peace. But then secondly, there are three, there are seven, sorry, seven directions as to how we walk primarily in secret before God. The first one is that we are to rejoice. In verse 16, rejoice evermore. You might say, why, why is this put first? The whole desire, if we are sanctified, is that desire that we be with Christ, is a realisation that we have been extended the greatest blessing that ever a poor sinner can have, that the Lord has chosen him and called him and suffered and bled for him and appointed a place in heaven for him. And for such a one that realises that, to go forth in this world murmuring, complaining, miserable, horrible, one thinks, do you not realise what you've been called to? Do you not realise what a privilege, what a blessing that that is? Do you not have a hope beyond the grave? The beginning of this chapter, it speaks of sudden destruction cometh. But it says, but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You know, death came into the world because of sin. But because of sin and because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, through death the people of God shall be free of this body of sin and death, free of Satan's temptations, free of this world. And all that desire to be sanctified here below shall be fully realised in heaven above. Perfection awaits there. That bliss awaits above. And it is to always be mindful of that, to rejoice evermore, rejoicing at God's finished work, rejoicing in the interest that the Lord has shown that we have in what he has done. May we not be those that by our demeanour act as if the Lord has never given us or shown us anything at all when the greatest blessing is to be chosen, redeemed, separated unto the Lord. So that comes first. And really that will put a a covering or a savour over everything else that we do. We serve a good master, a loving Lord, one who has commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. 
And we are not we are not our own, we are bought with a price. And the apostle says, as a consequence of that, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. And so it is necessary that we do bear in mind what a privilege and blessing it is to be a child of God, one that is called. The second thing is a direction to unceasing prayer. Our Lord Jesus Christ was a man of prayer that spent whole nights in prayer. He is the one that directed us to pray always and not to faint. He spoke of the parable of the unjust judge and the widow. And shall not God avenge his own elect that cry day and night unto him? How often we can leave this out. Remember in our text, the Apostle Paul is praying for this very blessing. He says, I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. Well, if he is praying that, how much more should we, or in the context here, should the Thessalonians be praying for themselves? that they be sanctified and preserved. And so maybe be encouraged. How often we are so short in prayer, we don't dwell on points, we're not specific, and we so get those feeble knees and weak hands, and we need to be exhorted to more prayer. If you and I are to be sanctified and to be delivered, from our sins and our habits and the evils of our heart, we will be praying, men and women. Pray without ceasing. The third thing is giving thanks and giving thanks for all things. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You might have come This evening asking, Lord, what is thy will? What is thy will concerning me? Well, here is one of the answers. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You give thanks. You might say you don't know what I'm walking through and what I've got in front of me and what's been going on in my life and in the church of God. How can I give thanks? Cannot you find anything to give thanks We're to make known our requests unto God with thanksgivings. But are we to make our requests first, then wait for the answer and then give thanks? Or are we, as the hymn writer says, be thankful for present and then ask for more? To dwell first upon what the Lord has already done, giving thanks for his calling, thanks for our homes, our health and our strength, for the word of God, for the preaching of the word, for the instruction of it, the thanks for our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, thanks for the brethren, how many things there are that we should give thanks for. In everything give thanks. Those trials that the Lord uses for good, those contrawise blessings, those things that we looked as if it was evil, but the Lord brought good out of it, those things that we might struggle to find something to give thanks for, 
There is the story, the account of a man that had bought some meat and a dog and he gave him thanks for that meat. The dog came and he stole the meat. He said to those round about, I thank God I still got my appetite. And to find something to give thanks to God for, even in adversity. And may we uh, remember this, this third direction and instruction to us in sanctification. The fourth thing is this, in verse 19, quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. Really, the illustration here is the spirit is, as it were, as a fire that is burning, and you're going to put something on it to quench that fire and to take it away. And we are exhorted that we grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of Jesus Christ. But especially it is our own spirit as well as the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing like the worthiness, things that we hear and look at, things that then take away our appetite for the word of God uh, that brings in the old nature and stirs it up and strengthens it. Those things, they quench the spirit. We could put under this as well that concerning the conscience it's a great blessing to have a tender conscience. A conscience that very soon and easy is wounded and is not trodden on, unheeded, ignored and gone on in spite of it. That still small voice, an unctuous light to all that is right, a bar to all that is wrong. We are to pay heed to this instruction to quench not the Spirit. The fifth thing, despise not prophesying or despise not prophecy. I take it really to mean specifically the Old Testament and the prophecies therein of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that is in them. Most solemnly in these days sometimes you hear such disparaging remarks regarding the Old Testament. remember once, even at the pilgrim home, I was reproved by one of the residents because I had preached from the Old Testament. And one wonders at the state, the condition of a pilgrim that could say such things. When we think of our Lord on the way to Emmaus and Philip preaching to the eunuch, the Old Testament is so rich and full of all of the word of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, promises given, promises fulfilled, the people of God and the uh, ancient Israel through whom our Lord came. And may we never despise any part of the word of God. Despise not prophesyings, then we have the six, to prove and to hold. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Some things we might not 
really see at first whether it is good or not, whether we can do it, whether we can go to this place or take this company or go with this person. But as we walk it out, we prove it. And if we are tender, then we'll notice what effect does this have upon our spirit when we look at this program on the internet, when we follow this man's ministry, how does it affect us? What fruit comes from it? And it covers all things, prove all things. Just because we start to go in a way doesn't mean to say that we have to continue in it. As soon as we discern and see that it is not working for good, it is not uh, the way of the Lord or not in a sanctifying way, then we are to let go of that and to depart from that. But where it is a good thing, hold fast that which is good. Some might get so involved with uh, genealogies or with history and prove that it is not good and is a thing not to hold fast to. Others, we might start to consecutively read the scriptures through and we prove it to be a very profitable and good and right way and we stick to that and we adhere to that because we proved the blessing that is through it. So prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And then we have the seventh one, abstain from all appearance of evil. Not just evil, but just the appearance of it. Not just how we view it, but how others may view it as well. And sometimes there's those things that we may be able to do with a clear conscience, but yet others in viewing it, it may have the appearance of evil. We may need to have to explain what we're doing or how we're acting in that way. And in that way, we're to abstain from it. And these things, these seven things, are set before us as instructions and direction before our text. And the text then begins with an and, which joins joins all of those instructions together. We obey, we follow, we regard and esteem that word that we have read. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a an end that is put to all of those directions. Who then can look on those things that we've set before you and say, well, they're not important. They're not valuable. There's not benefit in following them. There is. And then it brings our attention to them in, you might say, a small compass a little volume of these verses in this chapter that is the direction, is the handbook, if you like, of those that would be sanctified. But we want to look at the last point, which is God 
who will effect salvation and preservation. Because we have in verse 24, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. We think of the Apostle's words to the Romans, that if when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, how much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The teaching is, if the Lord has shown mercy in calling us, then he'll also show mercy and greater mercy to us when we are called. And in this context here, it is in sanctifying us, not partly, but wholly. And I take this not only to be in our several parts, in how we act in our body and our soul and our spirit, but really in every part of our lives. Not just to be sanctified when we're in the house of God and act like uh, little angels in the house of God, but as soon as we're in our workplace or in our homes, we're like different people. You know, with God's children, it is wherever they are, whenever they are, it is holy, it is completely, it's the one complete being, one person that is not... Uh, two different persons in different situations. It is one person. And we are reminded here the work of sanctification is God's work. His power is put forth for his people. Those who seek to walk in this word and yet they feel to come so short, they seem so poor and their efforts so, so feeble, and yet as they cry unto the Lord, and the Lord faithfully, he does it. He is the one that is able to change the heart, renew the will, turn our feet to Zion's hill. He is the one that in Ezekiel 36, again and again, he says he will do it for his great name's sake. Give them a new heart, cleanse them, turn them. All of the blessings, you can read them in uh, Ezekiel 36 and he says I will for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them and we never lose sight uh, that it is God's power and may we have the balance right not just fatalistically look to the Lord and then live carelessly not live as if well it all depended upon us but that we might live, yes, walk as if it did on us, but always have our eyes unto the Lord, that we might be able to say with the Apostle that we did labour more abundantly than all in these points. And yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. The secret of the Lord, which is with them that fear him, really the secret of sanctification, is set forth in our text and what goes before it and what goes after it. And may the Lord give us that desire that this be our work, our path that we walk in and that we are those that are sanctified and made meet for the Master's use 
and live to his honour and to his glory. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.